Welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. We tend to cover obsessions, compulsions, and exposures. There's also a Q&A at the end. If you would like, you can join us in the future. We meet on Mondays at 1230 Pacific time on Instagram Live. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. For any of you who are joining as we're sort of getting everybody on board. Uh, tonight, we have uh, another episode of OCD Game Changers Compassionate Connections. And that's where we talk about OCD and substance use disorder and, and recovery from both. So if you are interested, join us tonight. We'll be on the OCD Game Changers um, Facebook page and YouTube. So just to sort of start us off for, for this Monday. Uh, this is Purely OCD, and today we have a very special guest. Ka- is it Benfield? Catherine Benfield? Yes. Uh, yeah. I've never, I've never actually spoken to you in real time before, which seems very odd given that I've seen you and I, I know of, of all of your great things, but maybe you could sort of fill our listeners in on, on who you are and, and all of the exciting projects that you're a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really lovely to talk to you both as well. We've spoken so many times over Messenger and things like that, haven't we? <laughs> yes. I, I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. For years now, actually. Yeah, yeah. years. years. <laughs> um, okay, so hello, everyone. I'm uh, Catherine Benfield. I'm a primary school teacher, football coach, loads of different little bits. But my main love is uh, mental health advocacy, particularly OCD advocacy. Um, I run my website, tameandolivia.com, which is all about um, kind of inserting creativity and compassion into OCD recovery. And I'm working really hard behind the scenes at the moment to do a children's version um, because I'm sure after the pandemic, it's everywhere now, isn't it? Lots of children are really struggling to get help. So we're working really hard on creating free resources that we're going to be able to get out in the community so that children can work on, you know, kind of just things like resilience and failing forward and stuff like that just to help them with their mental health. Um, I'm, um, oh, it's so many different little bits. It's hard to listen. <laughs> I'm working with the University of Bath at the moment and the University of Oxford on two separate um, sessions. One, we're developing an app for relapse prevention and the other, we're looking at perinatal OCD. Um, I'm executive producer of a film called Waving, which is going to be like, I think probably one of the first big mainstream media films about um, intrusive thoughts and harm-based intrusive thoughts. Um, And I'm sure there's more and I've probably forgotten some of it, but yeah, I just, anything to do with OCD, anything trying to get the word out and, and I'm there at the moment. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you forgot just general badass, you know? Yeah, also, just also badassery. Accurate. Yeah, badassery. <laughs> I love that. Badass. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's 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 a big resume. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you're like a trailblazer. So thank you for all the work you've done. 
I know I've been a huge fan. Um, Lauren knows how excited I am for you to be here. Um, and <laughs> and <same. laughs> Right. And I think, you know, I just feel more connected, more so than any advocate to you because of the maternal OCD. And your story reminds me so much of my own. So thank you for spreading the word. And I know you've done so much work for that, you know, the maternal <clears throat> education stuff and writing articles that in the U.S. we don't have. So thank you for all of that. And, and speaking of, since you might, you both might not toot your own horns, you've both just, well, Catherine wrote and then <laughs> Kelly collaborated on uh, an article about perinatal uh, postpartum OCD and urges, uh, well, the well, urges I, I, in general, yeah. right? <laughs> For sure. Urges in OCD in general, but specifically using uh, instances of how they can come up in that context in that with that subtype. So I imagine that that will be a fair amount of what we talk about today, because I think it is, as you write in the article, very important and, and perhaps underspoken about. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just want to say as well, I mean, I've, I've been really lucky to be able to do the work that I've done so far, um, you know, and, and ladies like you two and the other advocates that I work with, you know, we're all doing a job that is, is incredible and can be exhausting and really tough at times. Yeah. You know? like so many people, I'm quite lucky because I, I often get recognised and, and acknowledgement given and validity for the work that I put in, but I know there's loads of people out there who work so hard, but they're doing it quietly and without a public persona, you know, to it. And I think, it's really important to acknowledge those people as well because the amount of advocacy they're doing at the moment is incredible and they're doing it all anonymously you know I get a slap on the back which I love but a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> we all love it yeah it's such a good point though there are so many people so who many. are unsung heroes of this work um yeah right even just like the funding aspect of it a lot of them are donating anonymously and you're like okay thank you world yeah. for that yeah and and uh, one of the things that I noticed is that you talk a fair amount. And I don't know your comfort level of, about your husband, um, mm -hmm. and that he's present on on the website. And uh, I imagine you know just even the the people who support those of us with OCD are, are often unsung heroes in this work as well. So oh, shout definitely. out. Definitely. We were having a group this morning. We were, I was working with the University of Bath. We were working on our little app thing. And one of the main conversations we were talking about was how isolating OCD can be. And for mm -hmm. the first time, we actually not only, of course, it was isolating for us, but we talked about how isolating it is for partners and significant others and family members, because very often we kind of shove them to the side while we're dealing with what we're dealing with, you know, or we're yeah. assurance, but without actually you know, that they can feel very isolated. And that's the first time I'd ever actually thought that. But Pete is wonderful. And like, seriously, mm -hmm. I have, everything is my comfort level. I've spoken about everything for so long. I can just talk about it. <laughs> Same. I, yes, agreed. <laughs> you know what, honestly, can... oh, go ahead, sorry. No, oh, wait. So Pete's brilliant. He's absolutely amazing. I mean, he's not comfortable kind of doing this kind of stuff, which is fair enough, because six years ago, I wasn't either. But he, um, I mean, he has been absolutely incredible. And we kind of talk to each other and then publish it as a way of kind of, I suppose, just being a bit of an example that it's really, it can be really tricky to be in a relationship when you have OCD and it's not all plain sailing. So, yeah, that's why we've been doing that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I would love to just as a side note, chat with you more about that sometime because it's a passion of mine and it's something I'm I'm giving, I'm really excited to give the keynote this year at the um it's the conference at Kennesaw State that has Riley's Wish as a part of it. So on OCD and substance use disorder. And it's all about connections and the the overlap and we tend to put we talk about this all the time on this podcast we tend to put things in boxes like well Mm. here's the supporter and here's the person who has it and here's this type of OCD and here's a substance use disorder and here's eating disorders and it's like they're not they're so interrelated and it's a not only is it uh you know all of the disorders that that come together but it's a family issue, right? Mental health is an issue. Well, mental health is an issue for every single person on this planet, mm-hmm. um, regardless of, of where they stand with it. But anyway, yeah. I digress. No, no, I, I do say, you know, I spent a long time feeling really bad for my son, you know, when I was going through particularly mm-hmm. recovery times, but actually now I can see that you know, there's no way he would have been as open-minded and expressive and as open to talk about mental health and things like that had he not watched me go through some of it. And then we then talked about what was going on, you know. So as, as hard as, as, as there are disadvantages for the family, there's also some positives that come yeah. from watching that challenge, you know, watching what you've been through. Well, opportunities, if we play our hand right, right, where you're able to have dialogue and discussion with him. So wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Um, Catherine, I'm curious with the article, when you sent me that originally, I was like, wow, why have I not seen more of this in terms of articles? So I'm curious what prompted you to write on that topic. Yeah. So that the whole idea of bodily sensations and we talk about we talk about them over here as being experienced as in the uk as being experienced as urges and um kind of impulses and actually i really loved what you said about it being bodily sensations because that suddenly stopped it being terrifying but for years yeah. before i was in this world of thinking urges oh my goodness doesn't that mean i want to do it right. you know so i am um, i really wanted to talk about them because it was the thing that made me so poorly you know, and it was when I was, when I had my son, I could just about handle the intrusive thoughts, the violent ones, you know, I could really, I kind of, therapy kind of helped me to get a, a grasp on the fact that I wasn't my thoughts, but there was something about these body that I thought were urges, were intent, you know, I thought they indicated intent, I thought it meant that I wanted to do these things, you know, right. and that was what was so, um, terrifying about it and as we've gone through advocacy I've seen that gradually people have got a little bit more a little bit kind of more open about the types of intrusive thoughts they have as we, as we went through all the years of talking about perinatal OCD gradually people started to talk a little bit more they were talking about harm OCD they were gradually starting to talk about like you know your kind of sexual thoughts about so it was gradually every time someone did something someone else built on it yet we never ever talked about this kind of bodily sensation to harm you know we never no one ever seemed to talk about that and it 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 was just this gaping hole in acknowledge you know in knowledge because people were talking about it so openly they're like I so love how OCD is like changing you know the the conversation is changing and yet I always noticed that when we got to that no one talked about it yeah yeah 
again, like the Royal College of Psychiatrists do actually use the word urge in their um, in their in their leaflet about perinatal OCD. And occasionally you'll see one of the charities mention the word urge, but there's never a discussion around it. So you're left as someone with OCD thinking, what on earth does this it's mean? A, yeah, it's a genuine urge versus yeah. it's that fear I could have this urge. Yeah. Right. Or the interpretation of the physical sensations of, of this urge. must this must be an urge because I'm having these thoughts. And I it's hard too, because in addition to what you're saying about in the UK, the DSM defines obsessions as thoughts, images, and urges, which yeah. I actually disagree with. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I think, honestly, that we don't talk about this enough, but there are two parts. There's the trigger, which can be an internal image, a physical sensation, uh, a thought. And then there's the interpretation of that as something that could be a threat, which is where the obsession comes into play. Like, oh my gosh, well, what does this mean about me? Maybe this means I actually do want to harm my baby, or right. maybe this means that I am attracted to fill in the blank, right? Like there are all of these different ways in which that can then, um, impact people. But at that initial thing, it's not, not only is it not an obsession in my opinion, it's a trigger, but then it's, it's the, the, this idea that urge, I don't know. It's like the precision of language is really not there. <laughs> Just not yeah, it's not. The no. semantics is off. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Explain it, you know, no one can explain it. So I do remember using the word urge when I spoke to a therapist and the guts that took to say to a therapist. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's like, I was only because I was really just, I'd had enough, I was at the end of my terror that I actually said it. But, you know, the the description around it and the discussion around it just isn't there. And I think it's because people aren't, well, one, they're not sure that the subject knowledge just isn't there. Because a lot of us in the UK as well, we're we're looking at um, NHS therapists. You know, so we're not yeah. looking at specialists. So for a start, the, the knowledge isn't there. But then also people are worried about the discussion around it. And it tends to, you know, occasionally sometimes people, you know, there are incorrect referrals made and stuff like that. And mm. that's terrifying for people, you know. So it's, it's just mm. about I wanted someone to be able to talk about it and just say it how it was. And I thought I've been working in this field for six years now there's not a person on the planet who can't google me, me and find out my deepest darkest thought you know, <laughs> I might as well be the one to do it because yeah. I'm already in that position. <laughs> but, you did it beautifully though you did thank you very much I've got to say though Kelly like I there's no way I would have written that without your help there's no way I had to have someone that I trusted completely <laughs> looking at that and someone who like as a professional I could trust because there was absolutely no way I was going to run the risk of getting that wrong for people so and your time was amazing thank you I mean like Kelly sent this email like this she's <laughs> working she's working <laughs> so there, there's my anxiety showing up I, I think I had even called Lauren and I said oh man Catherine might think I've lost <laughs> I've gone round the bend because I sent her an email that was I think five paragraphs and I tend to over explain so I'm <laughs> well and I'm I glad. think that all three of us are just so damn passionate about this topic yeah. not only because you know we're in the community of advocacy and of course with our work but because we all have lived experience with this mm -hmm. and how isolating and lonely it can be mm -hmm. 
to have these things happening and have no, nobody who understands or acknowledges or yeah. 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 I, I was going to say, I, I do think there is a, I feel that the urge and the, or I think the urge and the feeling of having a, an emotion that's in line with like anger, for example, right? Like if I feel angry at my daughter because she is frustrating me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've said, do all the things in the, in the effective way a parent should do. And she's still throwing a tantrum. And then I get an intrusive thought like, oh, you could just on the wall. Right. It's it, that's just as scary to me. Right. Like just it, it mirrors and parallels that urge feeling because it feels like, oh, I'm that much closer. I'm a little closer to doing that thing. OCD is just, it's difficult. It's difficult. And I'm so... Oh, go on, sorry. No, 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 go. Go, go, Catherine, go. I've done so much work around self-compassion and things like that. And that's where, in terms of an urge like that, when I'm angry at my little one, because I could explode Mm -hmm. It's so frustrating, particularly if you've got work deadlines and stuff. But I really, I found that that compassion, which I had to teach myself, by the way, I had none six years ago. <laughs> none, nada. Um, but it helped with that kind of thing, you know. And that's it, it. Kind of makes me realise that actually I'm allowed to be frustrated and angry because this is a frustrating and anger-inducing moment I'm going through right now. But and that's absolutely how therapies help in like in like other yeah. ways. It's not just OCD. It's like when you're about to lose it as a mother as well. <laughs> yeah, they validate you. That you know, my OCD therapist was like, "Get mad more." Like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> she sounds like she's being a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the so. thing is, there's not enough discussion. It kind of reminds me of our OCD in that that way. Is that there's not enough discussion about what it's like to actually be a human, whether that's a human relationship to a child or a relationship to a significant other, right? Like there's, there's this fairy tale of, well, you give birth and then you look at this thing and you're immediately connected. We've talked about it on here before. And it's like, yeah, after yeah. you've just undergone this huge trauma, right? Yeah. Basically. You might not feel immediately connected. Yeah. And then there's this expectation that you should just always be an, uh, uh, the continuity of love does not necessi- necessitate, wow, words, um, <laughs> constantly liking somebody or their behaviors. Yeah. And yeah. having that nuance in terms of how we look at our relationships to other people is really important. Otherwise, then you have a thought like, oh, I just want to murder this person. And it's like, whoa, wait, what does that mean? Right? Mm-hmm. What does it mean yeah. that I just had that thought? When it's like, well, of course you had that thought because people are frustrating as hell. (laughs) (laughs) So someone had mentioned, could we explain a little bit more what the urge OCD is? And I would just say we can talk about it, but also check out uh, Catherine's website because you can read the full article on there, which is tamingolivia.com. But um, Catherine, do you want to take the lead on this? to let you do that one I'd really love it if you could answer that I think you're doing okay okay and then Lauren can can uh, help so the way that we were talking about it is um you know if you've ever stood at the edge of a, a train and going oh I could just push somebody or I could just jump right into the tracks or if you're driving your car and you 
get this urge of like, oh, I could just swerve my car and go across all the lanes and slam into the center divider. Um, that's how we would define exactly what we had written this article about or that Catherine had written the article about. Um, and the way that we have defined it is that this is not what we would actually define as an urge because an urge is something that we are aligned with it. Like, oh yes, I have this urge to want to eat this ice cream and it feels good and yum, yum, yum. Right. But in OCD, it's, it's this feeling, this physical reaction or this trigger of uncomfortable distress and intrusive thoughts and, and then going, oh, what if I, what if I did do that? Right. Because it's not a true urge if it's not aligned in that way. But Lauren, do you want to? No, I mean, I think you crushed it. Okay, cool. (laughs) So I hope we explained it. Um, Can I actually, I do want to add just another idea to the discussion though, because I think what happens is when we call it an urge, which is why it's so important what you both are talking about, that that comes with all of the associations that we have with an urge. So if you say, oh, I'm having this urge, that's different from saying, I'm having this physical sensation that I'm interpreting as an urge. And that's likely to make you more anxious because you are, you're associating all of what Kelly was just saying with what you're experiencing that, oh, well, this is, that means that it's something that I want and et cetera. I'm not that you're actually thinking all of these things, but this is the amazingness of the human mind that we connect all these things. And it, to your point, validates yeah, it gives it this validity, like, oh, yeah, urge. That means you really want to. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yes. So, um, what else? Can you... Yeah, Sorry, I saw uh, there was a comment about uh, from Sean Chinook of Draw Your Monster, which, by the way, plugging him, because it sounds like there's so much actually involved with your work with taming Olivia and, and bringing creativity and what he does for the OCD community. But he said, what if the urge isn't necessarily associated with a validating emotion sometimes goes along with it, like slam urge out of nowhere. Oh yeah. Like it doesn't have to be because you're angry. It could just, yeah, be no, no, yeah. it could be. Yeah. I'm just driving along, having a ride back home from work. I don't drive home from work anymore, but because I work from home, but, but point, yes. <laughs> just go, oh. yeah, help me. And then just take, you just take the wheel and rent. Like, oh, I could just kill like 60 people with just a little rent. So yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes that and is then, what it happens, which makes it so terrifying. Right. And you're, the, you're missing what that is because that's what it used to be when I was little. I always had, I had this sudden, there wasn't, I wasn't aware of any thought that was in it. It was just this sudden kind of like urge. Feeling, to, yeah. And yeah, yeah, the feeling, the bodily sensation is like the, the pump of adrenaline. I could immediately feel like the stress hit. And, mm-hmm. and so then that's the interpretation, isn't it? I'm assuming that those bodily sensations are representing me actually wanting to do it because there's that yeah. doubt uncertainty because of OCD that's how I always it happening to me 100% yeah and you start to become very aware of the like tingling sensation in your hands right or if there's any sort of pressure 
that happens in your hands that you're oh my gosh, does that indicate that I'm about to do it? And then of yes. course Yes. Or like off. you got to stand up. It always affects yeah. my vision. Oh, I think it's anxiety, isn't it? It's just the biological side of anxiety. My vision blurs. And then I start thinking to myself, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm losing control of my vision, what else am I? You know, and it just like it looks for any little bit of evidence it can find and uses that. You know, you have to really be clued in to be able to, in that state, kind of go. That's so true. (laughs) I'm curious, Catherine, I know you've done so much work with Olivia, who I adore, and my daughter loves Olivia too. Um, She wants to look at all the pictures of Olivia, (laughs) even the scary ones. I'm like, okay. But anyways, I know a lot of it is self-compassion. There she is. Yeah. And in those moments of just terror, I'm wondering how do you approach it in that moment? Or is it more later? Right. Because it's so easy to to jump to anger and frustration and like, oh, OCD sucks so much. And it does. And at the same time, we can't fight against this thing that's part of us. It's part of our Mm -hmm. brain. It's just it's counterintuitive actually and it gets us more stuck in the anger I think the way that I've dealt with it has evolved over the years so I mean it took a couple of years of recovery for anger to even creep into it it was sheer terror you know it was stuck to the sofa terror my husband was in between me and my son because that's what it was always directed Mm -hmm. at you know in came all the compulsions and avoidance and stuff like that it was sheer sheer terror where I couldn't move um, and then over the years, obviously, as I started to get better, the frustration and the, everything else would start to creep in a little bit and the anger would creep in. Um, and now I'm actually at the point. So I, you know, you kind of you start off small and you expand. It's baby steps all the time that I use for my recovery. So I would force myself to sit there for three minutes, then four minutes, then five minutes before I addressed whatever I was doing, whether it was just getting up and going somewhere else, whether it was trying to put something on TV just to distract myself just for five minutes. And I know that can be a compulsion sometimes, but that distraction sometimes was the only thing yeah. that would out and allow me to just then go back to what I was doing you know so it's again it's 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 making the choice it's right for you in that moment Um, and that's okay by the way yeah yeah. we let our clients do that too (laughs) like if it gets you to the next point b then let's do it absolutely absolutely and so yeah it kind of I'm at the point now where I've done so many exposures I can't get them to bother me at all. I mean, I keep, I keep working that muscle, you know, every now and again, I try and bring something on. Or if I'm in a specific position, I'll be like, right, and, and I'll try and bring it on. And it doesn't bother me. And even new ones come in, and they don't bother me either. So it's almost like I've done so much exposure now that I just, I'm indifferent to it. I just think, oh, here we go again, shut up, you know. But I think mm-hmm. it's not, um, it took a long time to get there. And it was, again, it was self-compassion. Uh, the whole thing with Olivia was about separating myself from the condition in the first place. It was that kind of little cartoon character that just helped me to draw on those kind of feelings of wanting to help the vulnerable and, and you know, and then apply that to me. So it was just using as many strategies as I could, but it took a long time. I mean, I was really, really, really ill about eight, seven, eight years ago. And it's only been the past couple of years that I'm actually at the point where I'm just kind of like, yeah, you know, but it was steady increases the whole way through, steady increases. Yeah. I'm curious as to how you, or if there were any techniques or tools that you found useful when it came to recognizing what was happening in the moment, right? Like, because to your point, 
earlier, the, that experience of the quote unquote urge is Mm. so overwhelming and it's so easy to get hooked in that. So taking a step back can be difficult. I'm just sort of curious in your journey if there was anything particularly helpful. Uh, Psychoeducation was massive Mm. and it was made that I understood things that I would then kind of tell myself and educate myself about in the moment. And they had to be short little snippets and they had to be easily accessible. So it was things like books that I read, the odd little sentence, or it was, I'd written myself compassionate letters and I'd actually Mm -hmm. read them so many times, I pretty much, um, you know, recite them word for word, but they all were for different reasons. And I had one that was about the bodily sensations. And so Mm -hmm. I remember there was one time we went to go and see, HMS Belfast which is a big warship on the Thames and I was standing very close to my son near the edge <laughs> just at this massive drop down oh. the oh, oh. Yeah. And, uh, oh the head explosion I yeah I've done that since not bothered at all did it on purpose <laughs> but that time was absolutely horrendous but I do remember I knew what was happening and so I knew what I wanted to do was to run away and to be away from him. I knew that I wanted my husband to be in between us and so I didn't let myself do it because I knew immediately, because I'd read so much about it, I I just knew that it would it would make it worse if I gave in. So I forced myself to stay there. I'd learned about my breathing by that point and how to do how to make sure that I was properly breathing mindfulness you know knowledge of the biology of the body so I understood that the reason I felt like I was going to be sick was anxiety not because I really was going to chuck my son over you know right (laughs) tiny little snippets of education yeah I call on and whereas before the terror had been so bad I couldn't get any of it in gradually little bits crept in again you know and that I think is the importance of keeping on trying with little bits even if it was even if I just managed it for one minute and then yeah. had to run it's still been an achievement that time you know mm. so that's what I did mainly like kind of positive self-talk and educating myself reminding myself yeah you like know. you got this yeah yeah some badassery right there badassery. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm g- <laughs> I guess I'm curious too, because we talk so much in this community and on this podcast about the idea of accepting uncertainty. And I think that it can be really challenging in, Mm -hmm. you know, in the process of recovery to at a certain point sit, because a lot of people will have that thought of like, oh, well, this is, this isn't actually true, right? Like I don't actually want to do this thing. So I'm safe. But of course, OCD knows no bounds and likes to come up with, right? Like we have doubting minds. And so what happens then when your brain goes, yeah, but what if it is a genuine urge, which I can't tell you how often I hear that in my office. And it feels so real, right? It feels so real. Right. I'm just sort of makes it sound like you agree with it or almost like it, you know, and I think you have to be a certain Mm -hmm. level in your recovery to be, to be able to accept it. You know, because if someone came to me when I was really, really, really poorly and said, you just need to work on accepting this, I would just be like, what? What are you talking about? I know. <laughs> well, then you'd never come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I'd be like, no. No. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why are you suggesting I accept this? First thing in the world, isn't it? But, you know, so it's, it's like kind of educating people what that acceptance actually means and then mm. knowing that 
really got a bit of a safety net in place before you suggest it, because I do think that people are told to use acceptance very early on when they're still very poorly. And I think that's just utterly terrifying. <laughs> it's just really scary. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I usually try to uh, slowly dip their toes into the idea of it. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's where things like cognitive restructuring can be really helpful to say like, okay, well, what's likely here, right? Before we take the plunge and we just accept that these thoughts are here and really accept, ultimately, we we can't know for sure what they mean, that let's, let's look at what, what's most probable. Right. And we're going to assume that that's right while accepting that we don't. We, I'm, Kelly and I were just having a conversation about this last night, right? Like the, the idea of not when you don't know something, not assuming the worst, right? Like there's this weird like middle mm-hmm. ground where it's like okay. you assume that everything's going to work out, but you accept that you can't know for sure. Yeah. Right. Cause we often get into this place when we're doing exposures, even of just like, oh, right. Okay. Right. Okay. Negative. Right. We go to negative default. The bad thing's going to happen. And then we lose sight of the fact that we can hold optimism and still move forward in exposures. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. We did have some questions that sure. came in at the beginning if we want to take a look I don't and there may have been some more throughout if you have any questions feel free to add them to the the queue in the lower right hand corner there's a question mark symbol and Catherine I don't we didn't go over uh how much time you have so let us know we usually go 45 or so okay yeah yeah My husband is on bedtime duties tonight for our little boy. So you've got me as long as you want me. (laughs) Okay. Maybe a couple more minutes to answer the Okay. Issue with my, somebody was calling me. Um, How dare they? (laughs) How dare they not know that I'm on a live? Yes. So I thought that this was an interesting one. The question for those listening is having urges makes me feel out of control. How to sit with the fear that mm-hmm. you might act on it. Yeah. So this is going back to what Catherine was saying is when she's early was early on is knowing this is anxiety. This is what anxiety feels like. But then the piece we didn't say is her willingness to say, I'm going to sit through this feeling and hold my son and be here without doing the compulsion. It's very hard. And and to have tons and tons of self-compassion if it doesn't go that way. But I think that's the key is, is the willingness to just do nothing. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, you know, before I even started doing exposures, I had such doubt in who I was as a person. You know, I really thought I was. And so sitting with that wasn't an option for me then. I had to do, we stopped all ERP just so that I could work on doing some stuff about me and try and build up my self-esteem because it was once I actually started to believe that I was kind of worth that recovery and not this hideous, dangerous monster. That's when I could start 
at ERP, you know, and, and start sitting with that and stuff. So it was like there were skills behind it as well that you need, I feel that we kind of need to learn first. Because if your self-esteem's at rock bottom, it's going to be hard for you to kind of sit there with those things sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's where the self-compassion comes in, right? Is like, that's okay, it's hard, right? Like, this is hard, this is scary. That's okay if you didn't do it, right? Like, that's okay. So absolutely, absolutely. And I think when I look at OCD recovery is like a, a zoom out and I look at it as the header of, learning to trust ourselves again, right? Mm. Is because it's so much doubting. And uh, yeah, I don't want to go down too much, but yeah, well said. No, but it's back to the the question to tie what you just said about trusting yourself, right? How how do you sit with the fear that you might act? You you make the choice behaviorally to trust mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. even in the absence of whatever we might experience as the feeling of trust. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, I don't know, certainly what I see a lot, what I have experienced myself is just taking the leap, seeing how it goes. Yeah. You can handle the feeling. Yeah, totally. I wish I'd known about you ladies six years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Hey, me too. (laughs) I don't know how I got it this one. No, man. I definitely wasn't here six years ago. What, what, I'm trying to think, what, what year am I at? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Yep, no, yep, no. yep. Mm-mm. It is a journey. I love what you said, Catherine, about taking it one step at a time. And for anyone who's listening, I think that it can feel very daunting and perhaps unattainable if, if you're hearing us talk about these things with sort of, oh, well, it's just that thought, um, which it has not been the case always for any of us here. Yeah. And, and sometimes still, I, I'm going to go ahead and say for myself, sometimes still isn't. I have thoughts come in where I am, I'm convinced, right? Like this, and I, I have the wherewithal now to be aware of my, uh, the, my conviction being inherently suspect, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that I'm not, um, that I'm not still sometimes pulled in by the undertow, as Kelly said the other day, of feelings. It's hard. It is mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Should we take another question? Sure. All right. Somebody asked, and I'll I'll just say this while I'm scrolling the others. Can urges be very intense? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they will knock you on your ass. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's more true, right? Or that you're more likely to. It's just very uncomfortable experience. Mm. And I'm going to pull this up as sort of a, an adjunct to that. I, I think I, I want to just really quickly do a, a side note on feeling real, because I think it's a really, it's an important thing in the way that you guys are talking about urges. No, I'm and, glad you're going to talk about it. Yes. I meant to, and I didn't. (laughs) Well, I know you and I feel similarly passionate about this topic and it's something that I'm always, I'm actually pretty, you know, firm with my clients that like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What are we talking about? Feeling real? What that, that's not a feeling. I don't know what that face on the feeling wheel chart is, right? Feelings are sad and angry and (laughs) fear, not real. (laughs) <laughs> not real. No, that's not a feeling. It's a narrative, right? It's, it's thoughts. So this 
again, that I'm having an emotional experience that the interpretation of that is this must mean it's real because of the intensity. And if we then go and say, oh, it feels real, that does the same validation that Kelly was talking about earlier with the urges. It's, it essentially says, oh, well, then it, it's likely to be real. And that's just not the case. <laughs> it's just totally incorrect. It's not. It is a cognitive distortion on top of all of it. <laughs> it's called emotional reasoning. Yeah. And feelings aren't <laughs> facts, right? Like I've, I can speak to this so on so many occasions personally where, I, like I said earlier, I've been, yeah, convinced that something's true. And then later it's like, oh no, that was, that was just all in my head. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> You're a great storyteller. So, so glad I spent all that time worried about it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But I think the, the question that I pulled up here is why do we get urges? And I'm assuming that that's in the context of OCD. I have thoughts, but I'd be so curious to hear what you guys think. I always think it's just, is it not just us being a bit random? Is it not just like, <laughs> I, think, I just think like as a human being, I mean, I am not a professional at all, but the way I kind of talk, uh, think to myself about it, it's like, it just, it makes sense in the evolutionary sense for us to be slightly, you know, aware of different things. And that's just one of the things that happens. You know, I think that about thoughts, I think that about feelings, I think it's just a bit, it's, just a bit random that's how I think but I'm probably completely wrong but it seems to help me thinking that no no I think that you're right I think that we we think as humans that all of our internal experiences have some sort of meaning (laughs) ascribed to them as opposed to like we don't think that about dogs, you know, like <laughs> we don't, if a dog starts barking at the mailman, like while looking out the window, we don't think, well, stupid dog, it's just the mailman. We're like, oh, of course the dog's barking at the mailman again. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, why is it that everything in us and even in kids, right. You can see in kids where they're constantly at the whim of their emotions. And mm. for some reason we think that we as adults are, better uh, yeah (laughs) exempt from this like somehow we just hold it in and feel resentment and simmer (laughs) a simmer (laughs) yeah (laughs) or hopefully we accept our feelings and and uh set boundaries occasionally if if you know we're working toward being healthy but some of us some of us sometimes sometimes (laughs) (laughs) but um i think that in addition uh, yes random And then I think what happens is if we're like breaking down the idea of the urge as we've been talking about it, that physical experiences are random and they come up and then our brains, we want to figure everything out. And to your point, Catherine, of course we do. That's very evolutionarily beneficial. Like try to figure things out. That keeps you safe unless it then goes totally haywire and then you end up with OCD or an anxiety disorder. And I think from that perspective, uh, why urges? Well, I think what, what we're calling urges are experiences, uh, we're, they're experienced that way because the thing is important to us. Mm. Yeah. We, we call them urges because that's the fear, right? Like, of course, we started this conversation with the discussion of postpartum OCD and can you think of anything scarier to a new parent than oh my gosh but what if I no I can't right no I've I've tried yeah right so 
that's why you're going to experience that as an urge because that's the scariest thing and the thing that you want to protect yourself from. Right. Which I think is where Olivia plays a great role in Mm. describing OCD, right? It's like, she's part of our brain, all the other little Olivia's running around. (laughs) Um, It's just not attentive, isn't it? You can, you can show yourself compassion and and kindness and it helps you separate and personify it. it, But then you don't have to attend to everything. Not everything. I mean, I, I sometimes feel like I don't have a choice. My brain starts attending something that I don't particularly need it to attend to, but then I kind of actively make the decision to try and at least, or let it attend to something in the background whilst I'm actually focusing on my values or my work or something like that. You know, it's actually choosing not to sit there and try and nitpick and yep. this thing annoying me because that will never stop. That will just keep going on because OCD, once I solve one thing, we'll keep sticking something else in, you know, so it's choosing not to attend and that's not always easy. And that, But it's a skill that can be learned, you know, just like everything else. Baby yep. steps. Baby yeah. steps. And that's steps what I trust. Um, baby steps of trust. And that's why yeah. I love what you said earlier about the TV thing. I think sometimes we think of that as distraction and I'm sure it can be like, but I think that the desire to push away certain experiences is where we get mm-hmm. into trouble. The The desire yeah. to refocus our attention on something that matters more to us. And frankly, television does matter more to me than trying to figure yeah. out with certainty yeah. whether or not my th- all my thoughts mean something. Then I'm going to refocus my attention on that yeah. instead of continuing to, to leave my attention on this thing. No, right, because you, your thoughts are still there and you're still terrified, but it's just enough to take the edge off, like taking a shot of alcohol, which I don't endorse. I'm just saying <laughs> it takes a little edge off. Well, but what we're talking about is response prevention. So it's like, mm-hmm. the, the I don't know, for me, sometimes the edge is really still there, but it's like, I'm not going to keep feeding the beast. I'm not going to keep yeah. myself stuck. You're choosing not to kind of, because I, I tend to try and keep what is a compulsion and what's actually quite a good recovery strategy. You know, sometimes in a Venn diagram, I'm sure there'd be a lot of crossover. You know, it's kind of, is am I now watching telly for too long so that I'm distracted? You know, there's kind of, you can question yourself about what you're doing. You know, if I was to suddenly decide to spend the next week watching telly, that's an issue. Or even right. the next <laughs> right. little thing so that I can then carry on doing what I'm doing, even if I do still feel like rubbish. That's a helpful choice that I've just made. That was a good self-care choice for me, you know, that television watching then. So it's, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Just being careful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. Totally. Okay. Should we, we should probably wrap up because I probably. think Instagram will kick us off at a certain <laughs> point. Give us issues at the hour at least. Yeah. So um, it was really so lovely to have you. Uh, thank you for taking the time and and for speaking so openly about your experience and for all that you do for this community. Um, yeah. Yes. I can't wait to meet you in real life. I know. I know. I know. COVID, I was heading over for the IACDF conference as well. Was it the New York one? And then we couldn't yeah. come because of COVID. I was like, no. But one day I... <laughs> I promise I'll come over but I, I thank you so much for having me on it, it's just been wonderful and I've learned such a lot I'm going to rewatch this and put some notes of the things that you two ladies have talked about because it's so helpful and Kelly thank you for your help with the blog because that was not that was not an easy one to write was it we had to do some thinking about it so yeah yeah of course you. thank you and for go check that brave. out yeah and showing up yeah 
Okay. Yeah. Well, we will talk to you soon. Are you going to Denver conference or have you not? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea yet. I don't know. When is it? Is it July? July. Mm. If I can scrape some cash together, I'll definitely. <laughs> well, either way, I'm going to be over in the UK soon because I, my half, my father's British. So I, I'm going to like come descend upon you, I think. Which uh, means I'm going to ride on her coattail. That's right. We're, we're going to aggressively <laughs> descend upon you. You're in London, did you say? London, but I can travel to wherever you are. I would love to see you both in real life. That would be awesome. And if I can get amazing. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. All right, gang. Well, thank yes. you all for joining us. And we look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Bye. 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 <laughs>